Welcome to a young adult talk back. It's a Tuesday night talk back on a Wednesday afternoon. I am here with the John Vogt. First time ever to be on a Christ Covenant podcast. Yep. John, we're excited for you. Feels great. You're going to do great. Don't blow it. Okay. You won't. Lots of pressure. But you know what, John? I might. No, you're going to be awesome. Ah, okay. You know, you know what, John? Here's the deal. I'm not hosting this podcast. Really? You, you know who is? No. Our exquisitely bearded friend. Wow. Kevin Terrell. Hello. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, host away, my friend. Kev dog. We're here to uh, to roll with Job chapter one. Awesome. Yeah. Job chapter one. Thomas, how do you feel about last night? Uh, feel. That's an interesting word, Kevin. I feel um, I, it was a, I thought it was a good, a really good night. First night in a series. I always like the first night in a series. We've finished something previously. In this case, it was Revelation. Um, we had a, a week where everybody hung out at the park. Some of us went to Peru on a mission trip. And mm-hmm. so to come back and get rolling in a new series is just, it's, it, it's kind of life-giving. It's exciting um, to start something new. You kind of enter into the unknown. But Job, what a book. I mean, chapter one has already raised many questions with people and good questions, wrestling questions, hard questions. And uh, I thought we were true to the text. I thought the worship was great. Um, We get a little feedback every Tuesday leading into Wednesday and several people commented on the worship. And as, as interesting as this sounds, or maybe interesting, I don't know. I think it's interesting. (laughs) The volume was commented on multiple times, how loud people were singing. Yeah. And I love that. I love that our, our folks are like just singing and calling out to God and, Mm. and worshiping him. Um, and there's always great communities that once again, great community. So I thought it was a great night. And maybe a, a little shout out to Jordan Coughlin for his, uh, timely sermon Sunday. That's right. With a Sunday service. On That's right. Worship JK with, uh, yeah. with a, 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 the preacher that can also sing or the singer that can also preach. We don't know. And counsel. <laughs> and get counsel. a man who does it all. <laughs> yeah. Get a man who does it all. Man. Yeah, a very interesting book. Unusual. You mentioned a couple different things. No politics. Is uh, Job's not an Israelite, mm-hmm. um, and, and and you know we jump into the chapter, a description of him, uh, blameless and upright, and and a very sort of strange proposition to start. And we, we get into it quickly with you know uh, Satan, as the text says, or a Satan um, coming and and in some sense challenging God, um, and. And you mentioned that there's a there's a wrong reading of you could see this character, this Satan coming in, and it's almost a one to one even battle. Um, and but you you put the, forward the idea of like God's apostrophe s right, God's devil. Could um, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, as I was studying this, because I used the ESV, um, the version, the English Standard Version, um, and in that version the Satan, the word Satan is capitalized and the article the is not in that version. So it reads Satan approaches God and you see a capital S and you're like, okay, that's Satan. That's the same one that goes to, uh, to Jesus in Matthew four. That's the one that we read about when we were studying, uh, the revelation, like, okay, this is, this is Satan. And 
just a standard quick reading of your modern version is probably going to lead to that thought. So that was my thought going into study. Then I started reading some of these commentaries and some of them are like kind of every man type commentaries where you could, um, anybody could pick it up. Doesn't matter if your theological background, you could read it, make sense of it. Some are much more academic and uh, <clears throat> take a little bit more, you know, previous exposure to be able to really understand what they're saying. But in all of them, the most simplistic, readable commentary to mm. the most uh, complex commentary, they all started to talk about how this is the Satan. Mm. And that's, uh, we would say Satan, but the way you would say the word is Satan. And, and it had this article in front of it. And all these commentators were saying, uh, it's very difficult to prove from the, the Near East culture, from the Hebrew language, that this is the Satan we see in the New Testament. Mm. And so what to make of that, I'm not sure that it it totally changes the game because what we see is a fallen angel, one who means humans harm, who is not serving God. That is what the demons are. That is what Satan is. They are a, a, a previous follower of God that has walked away from God. Mm-hmm. And so what you have here is this, this demon who is reporting to God. And I'll get into like the G-O-D apostrophe S in a second. Um, but it's really hard to say for sure, oh, this is the same one in the New Testament. But what is transferable is Satan is an accuser. And that is part of the meaning of the word Satan. Mm-hmm. And so this Satan, the Satan, the Satan in this passage is an accuser. Well, the Satan, the accuser accuses both God and people, but in particular, they accuse people. And that's what we see in the new Testament, the description of Satan which truly does have the capital S that is like the proper noun. Um, He is known as the accuser of the brethren Mm. in revelation chapter 12. And so what we see here is a likeness of that. This is an accuser of God's people. And Job is one of God's people. Mm. So I don't know if that muddies the water. It is a really complex understanding of the Hebrew language and why this is the case. But, I think in the grand scheme of things, maybe the reason the ESV translation leaves it as Satan without the article in front of it and a capital S is because, and I don't know for sure, I wasn't there when they translated, Uh, but it still is the idea, the same idea as Satan, capital S in the New Testament. This is an accuser of the brethren. And And I guess part of what I'm hearing is you're saying is it could have been, and it's sort of the same either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it could have been, and I think it could be the same. It is the same either way. The ramifications are about the same, regardless yes. if it's it, we, you know, yes. the serpent, as you know. Clearly, this is a being that is very powerful, a being that gets an audience with God. Uh, that is, Satan himself is a very powerful being and does have an audience with God. So there are definitely some sames. Yeah. So, but could you elaborate on the apostrophe s part of that? Yeah, I love the analogy you used about like you walk in and your mom, you know, is like, "You want the cookies, don't you?" Right? Yeah. And I, and I, 
yeah, I would, I would love to hear a little more of that. Yeah, yeah. So what we have in verse six is this is interesting. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came. I'm reading again from the ESV. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That's where we start to say like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? First of all, we go from the earth and we're watching Job's life and we're seeing that he is an upright and blameless man. And then we're transported to the heavenly realm. Mm. And we have this like council. Imagine like, I imagine a judge in his chambers and he calls, you know, the lawyers to come in. Mm -hmm. And that's when the sons of God, which means they are, that doesn't mean they are like worshiping God. It means these are not human beings. So these, um, these heavenly beings come in and they're to give a report that tells us a bunch of stuff. This is where we get God apostrophe S. Mm. This is God's possessive, not plural. This is God's Satan. This being does whatever God lets him do. God says, you come in, he comes in. God says, give a report. They have to give a report. There is no power struggle. Mm. I think it's very important for us to see and troubling. To be honest with you, it would be easier in some ways, if there was a power struggle, like, oh, this is a really strong being and God's like a little bit stronger. This is not some like Monday night wrestling match where like, who I think, I think the good guy's going to win, but the bad guy is really strong too. Yeah. It's not at all that. This is God's possessive form. God's Satan. And Christopher Ash, a, a, a commentator, he's the one that first person I read that had that line in there. He says, this is God's Satan. There is no battle. There is no competition. God summons and Satan, the son and the, the Satan and the sons of God must report. So, oh, the cookie jar. Yeah, you're you're talking about like the analogy. Well, you it was just an analogy of it's asking a question you already know the answer to. Because I think someone you know, of any point in relation to Christianity could easily look at this and also I think about Genesis, where you know God's like, where are you? And, and, you know, you go, well, I thought God was omniscient. I thought God knew everything. Why would he ask a question? Well, sometimes a parent, yeah. you, know, you know, would ask a question they don't know the answer to. And I, but, but it is still a curious thing when you, when you get, when you see God asking questions, it's like, why, you already know the answer. What are you doing? Yeah. You definitely wonder like, okay, is God sovereign? Is God omniscient? Uh, you know, what, does he have to ask these questions? Um, and the sovereignty question is answered because God is clearly in control. Yeah. But the omniscience part, you're like, is he like, does he know anything or is at worst is when he says, have you considered my servant Job? Is God like dangling a carrot of a human in front of Satan and saying, have you thought about messing with this guy? And I think that's probably how most people read this. But if the first part is true, that God is fully in control, then he must fully also know, I already know what you're thinking. He's been walking around the earth, roaming to and fro. And mm -hmm. I know he's been looking at Job. 
And so God just goes ahead like a mom who just made a bunch of cookies or something. You know, when the kid comes in, she's like, you want one of those cookies? And like, as a little kid, you're like, how did she know? But with, you know, as you grow up, you're like, oh, I know how she knew. (laughs) That's how we ought to read. That's how we ought to read this. We ought to read this and say, oh, Satan was clearly already looking at Job. And God is just saying before Satan can say it, have you considered Job? Because I know you have. Yeah. You you brought up sovereignty, and I think that's, you know, something that gets talked about a lot around Christ's covenant and for good reasons. But I I feel it, it may be if you're newer to the faith, something that is like, well, what are the ramifications of that? What does that really mean? And I even struggled not too long ago with like, oh, I had a small view of what it meant for God to be sovereign. Could could you elaborate a little bit on that? And maybe even just like a textbook definition and as well. Yeah, yeah. The the sovereignty of God would be is anything outside of his control is really what we're asking. Mm-hmm. Is is there anything that like um is God the watchmaker? That's, you know, that was one one theory that was developed a while ago. Did is the world and humanity is it like a watch that a watchmaker made, wound up and then walked away from? Where okay, God made it, but he's not really like really in control of it. The watchmaker made it, but now it's on my wrist. It's not like near him. Like he's not really in control anymore. And what we see all through the scriptures is that there is not one thing, not one hair on our head, not one bird in the sky, not a job, not a son of God who is not who is outside of the knowledge and control of the Lord. I think that's what we're asking when we really ask about that sovereignty question. Is there anything that God's just like left to its own? And mm-hmm. and we don't see evidence of anything that God's left to his own. But sometimes it looks like sure. God has abandoned something. And that's the human side of it, right? Yeah. And I think with that, I mean, why does God even entertain this Satan? You know, like in some sense, well, God has nothing to approve and and to prove. And this is a question brought up to a friend after Tuesday night. Um, yeah, I and also with that, like, okay, we've established this sovereignty. If God is truly sovereign, then why would he allow for these evils to occur to Job? You know, like what precisely is, is he up to? And I think if we're not, we don't, you're not reading the text if you're not asking that question, like what in the world is God up to? Can, I elaborate. Yeah. So what's the purpose? Yeah, John, this is the this is the easiest thing that Kevin's asked so far. So I'm really glad that no, you're I'm trying to in. come in on on the easy parts. No, First podcast. It's uh <laughs> this is the hardest thing that Kevin has asked. I <laughs> well, love it. Keep well, going. well I, I just to elaborate on the question, what is the purpose in God hearing the Satan come and say, Well, Job is this uh I I Job has everything, right? You've given Job everything and saying, we'll go uh, do anything you want. Just don't kill him. Why is God allowing that to happen to Job? And what is his purpose behind that? And that's, I think, the greater question that we see through chapter one is what is God's purpose in that? Yep. Yeah. And so we have to remember, as we ask some of these questions, Mm -hmm. that we're only in chapter one. Yes. Right. This is very important because our minds want to race to all the same things that Job's mind was racing towards. That's that's really important for us to realize God gave us a 42-chapter book to work through this process. 
what are you doing, God? And can I even ask, what are you doing, God? That's a big question that's answered in the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Do I even, as a human, get the get permission to ask? Like to, to literally make both hands into a fist and pound on the chest of God and say, what are you doing? Can I even do that? Is that acceptable? That's There's so many of these like really, really intimate human moments in this book from someone who is upright and blameless. And to a God, when you first read, who seems distant. I mean, if we're going to be really honest, when you read the transaction between God and Satan, it seems emotionless. And it seems that Job's family is just collateral damage. Mm -hmm. Now, the beauty is, God didn't have to give us this book. We didn't have to get any of this. And that's part of the reason I love our faith and I love the God we serve Mm. because he's given us the opportunity to ask really hard questions. And I think, spoiler alert, he's completely fine with our little finite minds coming up with the hardest things we can possibly come up with. Like he can deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a there's a conversation to be had there. It's almost yeah. an invitation of, you know, we see the idea of, you know, wrestling with God, right? There is, is there there is a pursuit of him. Yeah. Um and and one difficult question I think that we have to ask ourselves is is seeing in in verse 9 this this Satan, you know, says to the Lord, "Does Job fear God for no reason?" Mm-hmm. And I think that's to some degree something we need to test ourselves on. Mm-hmm. Does do we fear God because you know, of who under and a right understanding of who he is, or do we fear him because we get lots of nice things when we, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's. And that's the, the retribution principle. That's right. Right. That you talked yeah. about. Um, yeah. Tell, tell us, John, give us the definition. What is the retribution principle? Well, Thomas, if I do good things, then good will occur to me. And yeah. if I do bad things, then bad will occur to me. So if I'm a righteous person, which we see Job is the most righteous person uh, in all the world. That's why God puts him before the Satan, right? Yeah. Um, but that's what the Satan is challenging here. Yeah. Does right. Job love you just because you've been nice to him? Yeah. And that's something you confronted us with last night was, do you love God just because of the things that you were receiving? I think that's something to continue pondering on over time. And something I've had to ponder on this last night, even in day. Yeah, I mean, even Jesus brings this up. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's like, I'm not going to do any more miracles here because all you want are my miracles. Mm. Like, this is yeah. something you're, we see all the time. You're wanting the bread. You're just here for a meal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 just want what I can give you. You don't want me. And and the Lord makes himself, like, hard to get. Mm. One of my favorite Christian singers, I've talked about him before, Rich Mullins, who passed away several years ago. Um, he had this song called Hard to Get. And he had this line where he talked about how God is hard to get sometimes. God does not make himself warm and fuzzy in Job chapter one. Mm -mm. And so like he is hard to get. Um, And like he's okay with that tension and we should be okay with that tension also. Um, This retribution principle, uh, Kev, we were talking about this earlier. Um, you, You would like to be married at some point, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. John, you would probably like to be married at some point, right? I would. Okay. That's great. So guys, if you are completely sexually pure, 
You never look at pornography. You treat all women like sisters, like Paul tells Timothy to do. I mean, like you're super good guys. Does that guarantee? Well, you're God's just going to like plop a wife down next to you one Tuesday night or Sunday morning or whatever. And like, there you go. No. But people will expect that. If we're being honest, have you ever thought that? Like if I behave well oh, sure. enough, I'll yeah. get this thing. To get the yes. thing I want. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's like, okay, God, if you allow me to have this, I'll stop doing these things. Like you try to bargain. Yes. And it's like, that's, yeah. That's exactly what Job's, what Job was called out on by the the challenger, by the Satan. That's exactly the argument. And you said it seems like at some points Job might be living to this retribution principle. Where So we see that earlier in the chat, in the book. Yeah, it's interesting. In, in the first five verses, we're told about Job's life, and he's basically like the perfect man. Um, and so in that process, what we see is that every time his kids have a feast, he makes an extra sacrifice just in case they might have cursed God during mm-hmm. their feast. Now, that to me is a little bit of retribution principle. Like, okay, my kids might have done something bad. I'll counteract it with something good, and that will ward off anything bad happening. That is retribution principle. But... The, and we all have a little bit of that in us, but some of that is wisdom. You should be sexually pure. Mm. You should treat younger women as sisters. Yeah. You should do those things. Job should make the sacrifice, mm-hmm. but you don't get to expect that because you did those things that God will play into your formula. Well, and if you were, you're doing them for the wrong reason. You're not doing them to, to live a life that glorifies Christ and all things and submitting your entire being and will to, to that aim. You're just trying to get the thing. That's exactly right. And so what we see is one of the ways that Satan attacks Job is he kills his kids at one of those feasts. Yeah. That had to get in Job's head. Yeah. He hit him, hit him where it hurts. Like, well, he had to think, did I, was the sacrifice wrong? Did I? Like he had to have a moment where he wrestled with, did I do the transaction with God wrong and therefore I got punished? And we see at the end of the chapter that it's resolved. He did not do that, but he had some of those traits in him. Mm-hmm. So why, why allow this? Why, why God take this and allow these things to happen when Job, we see his response well, but why ultimately allow these things to happen to him? Man, that response, that response of Job at the end of the book, yeah. it's, it's you know, like I said last night and like other people have said, it is timeless, internationally known when he says two things, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What we see is that Job really was righteous and upright. Mm-hmm. He did not live by the retribution uh, principle, even though he had some of those traits of like seemingly transactional things. Yeah. What we see is that in his heart, he did not expect God to live under Job's set of rules of righteousness. He really did worship God. I'll, I'll go ahead. The question you asked, John, why did God do this? That jumps us all the way to the end of chapter 42. Uh, and so since we're in chapter one, I won't, not go, there yet. Well, I won't go deep into it, but I will read you a line from um, from one, one study. It says, in the end, God's wager with Satan actually achieved an incredible coup. 
He harnessed evil and turned it to good. He transformed Job into the most effective servant of all, one who took on God's own redemptive character and loved his enemies. And this, in fact, is our take-home lesson from Job. Hmm. What we're going to see is that this victory Satan thought he was going to get is going to completely get flipped on his head. And he's going to walk away the fool. And we're going to see Job and God in an even more right relationship. It's going to be an incredible story. It just takes a long time to get there. It's in, it's intriguing how, and you, you mentioned this last night, how much this points us to Christ. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, Jesus is the better Job. Mm. Because the, in, our, in one of the commentaries, I thought this was so good. Um, they, they talked about there was no room for the cross in, in retribution principle. And I started thinking, and I was like, oh, Job, I, I maybe, you know, sometimes you hear a bunch of stuff and you read a bunch of stuff and you don't know what your own thought is and what somebody else's thought is. But as I was walking away from that, um, I, I, I think the Lord just showed me so clearly, Job is a type of Christ, pre-Christ. Jesus is the better Job because what innocent person suffered more than Jesus? Job is, in his theology, there is room for innocent people to suffer for the glory of God. And that is not the that RP theology. This is so interesting. Job was able to understand Sometimes bad things happen to good people for the glory of God, and that's enough. Mm-hmm. Jesus took on billions of people's sin and shame and death and loss and lies and deceit and and well, lies and deceit are the same, but you know, lies <laughs> and and murderous thoughts and lustful thoughts and all these terrible things. This perfect Son of God took on all those things mm-hmm. and carried them to the cross, carried them on the cross to his death and deserved none of it. And so I think this is really beautiful cross theology that is found in this first chapter of Job, yeah. where Jesus himself did not curse God or charge him with wrong. Yeah. It, it seems to be if if we can't, in our theology, in handle a job there's some major ramifications like if we can't take this book as you know as it is then it it, it leaves very little to no room for the cross in our in our our personal theology and yeah and one of the things is obviously a a main theme and what one has to wrestle through is is justice and and you brought up this you know last night this idea of is god just or is he trustworthy um, and then one of the questions that comes to mind is like, well, Thomas, why can't he be both? Yeah, mm. <clears throat> I I was okay with that tension. I knew that some folks would 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 catch on to that, and that's good. People were thinking like, well, he's both. He's just and uh, and he's wise. The deal is, <clears throat> you ever been in a car as a kid and you were asking like the driver how much longer? Maybe you were in a car as an adult and you asked the driver how much longer. But you remember yes. that like those moments. We were in Peru last week Very and, and people were saying, how much longer? And <laughs> Pepe, our Peruvian partner, turned to me and he said, in Peru, the answer is always 15 or 20 minutes. 
And I would listen to the bus driver and every time he would say 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> and so, and, you know, it, whether it was one or two hours into the trip uh, or one or two hours left in the trip. And so it's I think what happens is people are asking the wrong question. They're asking a bad question or a lesser question when they ask what Job is asking. God, where is your justice? And that's what Job's going to ask. Mm-hmm. Where's your justice? God never answers that question. God answers a better question. And so if a kid is going to an amusement park with their parents and they say, how much longer is the ride? The parent can say 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. Or the parent could say, have you ever heard of Goliath? It's this roller coaster. And after we get through the line and we get on, we're going to get in the front car and this is, and then they describe the experience. That's a better answer. It is not what the kid asked, but it's a better answer that's given to the kid because now they're like, oh, this is incredible. They may still wonder how much longer, but their mind is now caught up in what the what's going to happen when they get there. And so God never answers, where's my justice? He answers with, do you trust that I'm wise? Hmm. And so what we see is that one of the foundations of God's justice is his wisdom. And it's beyond our, our ability to understand and see, especially in the moment. And so I think justice is certainly a part of God's character, but a foundation to that justice is his wisdom. So that's what God's going to answer with as we get into this book. He's going to answer with his wisdom. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things this is touching on within that is the retribution principle is it's the sense of self-justification. Yeah. Right? God, God's justice is different than our own justice. Yeah. And we want that justice for I've ourselves. I've been so good, God. I've made all those sacrifices. I've been walking with you. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Where's your justice? And I think that's why Job is such a difficult book to wrestle with, is that we can identify very heavily with Job. We, he has a family. He has all these things. Um, but when we look to the cross, right? Christ suffered so much, so, so, so much. Yeah. But I think we come be, become a little bit numb to his suffering. But when we read something like this, we can relate to what Job is going through. On a, maybe we, we think we can on a little bit more of a level. We see he has a family. He has all these things. He's this righteous man. And we sometimes don't think of Christ in that same context. Sure. And I think there's a lesson here with that, that... Jesus suffered so much more, right? And he didn't, yeah. he, I mean, he received the justice that we deserve ultimately. Yeah. Um, and, and so what is God's justice versus what is our own justice is I think another good question that this forces us to consider in that vein. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. that we see Job giving an account and an answer to some of that, yeah. to some degree even in him saying that God gave and God gave uh, takes away, mm-hmm. right? Where if we, we don't, know what we mean when we you know shake our fists and say god give me justice because we all have sinned and the justice that's right we, the justice we deserve is not the justice we think we might we not always want what we're asking for <laughs> yeah 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 and i mean and that and that's hard and i there's through this and in many places in the scripture you butt up against you like god i don't god i don't like this i don't like what you're doing i don't like how you're doing it and i think that that leads us all to at some point in our walk we have to ask the question is the God you worship truly the God of the Bible 
or this, this amalgamation of aspects. And maybe you get those aspects from scripture, but an amalgamation of aspects you like. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's that, that famous Tozer line that what a man thinks when he thinks of God is the most important thing about him. Mm. And because what a person thinks when they think of God is like, what we're asking is what, what God are you talking about? Who is it that you're either not afraid of or you do fear you take seriously? Yeah. Who have you built your life around? All of us, this is going to sound shaky. This is not something that you would normally say out loud. All of us are a little bit wrong in our thinking of God. I don't want to be. When I teach a, a sermon, I don't want to misrepresent the Lord. But I know I'm going to occasionally say something that when I get to heaven and I meet the Lord face to face, I'm going to realize, oh, you were so much bigger than that. Mm. You were so, oh, you're so, it's so much better than what I thought. Because we're these little finite beings trying to get to know the Lord. And that's why the Bible is so important for us, right? Like, because it's his revelation of himself to us. So I, I need to go there first. I need to understand who he is. But the problem is books like Job mess with that. They mess with who I thought God was. Um, God could have stopped all that calamity from happening to Job's family. And I am meant to see that in this book. That is meant to get deep into my mind and for me to start to realize, as the Bible says, you thought I was like one of you, but I am not a man like you. Yeah. Like, okay, God is different and bigger and way more complex and way more wise and way more powerful than me. I need to be careful that I don't box him in. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's easy for us to look at, take out of context something that Jesus said say oh i can worship that god that's right but it's 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 much harder and, and it's a challenge for all of us that we must do to look at the god of job that's right and worship him that's so, right well can i uh can i close with a doxology please romans 12 33 through 36 come on if that's okay and it says oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 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 Hey, for John Vogt and Kevin Terrell, I'm Thomas Nelson. Thanks for listening to this talkback.